I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey everybody, it's Flames Nation Radio, episode number 14, uh, brought to you by our friends at DoorDash and by Eau Claire Distillery's Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Uh, I'm Ryan Pike, joined by our dear friend Shane Stevenson, who just literally, he, he, he made me wait because the big time, big time star was on, on a different podcast. Uh, so yeah, I should be going up the coming days, so uh, be, we'll, when, uh, when that goes up, we'll make sure we... Uh, Pit chain. Are you are you allowed to say which podcast you were on? Uh, yeah, I was. I just did a hit on the Quack Report. They did it live too. It's already on their YouTube or whatever. They they do a different format than us. I just that's they, just a, uh, that's just I a really fun li- name. Uh, yeah, the Quack. Yeah, I I, uh, I refused to wear a Ducks jersey, so I dressed like I was just going to Anaheim in a ridiculous way. And you, uh, you look you look like you got lost on the way to watch a Jimmy Buffett concert. You, you know what? That sounds like something I'd actually do. So uh, <laughs> I've, heard no, I, 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 I've heard good I, things. I've heard good things. I just went, I just really liked, I've always liked Lucas Elvinez as a prospect. And then they, a uh, rare unconditional waiver, buyout waiver claim. And uh, they asked me if I'd come talk about him. So we it, just, it wasn't even buyout waiver. It was, it was termination waivers, which is yeah. even better. Like it's, it's he gets go away. <laughs> and I mean, let's be honest, as much as, you know, we love Sweden and Swedish people, they're wonderful. Uh, if you had the choice between going to somewhere in Sweden or going to San Diego or Anaheim, I mean, I'd probably try out Anaheim too. So that's, that's cool. It's a, that's a cool story. I mean, I think, I think uh, our friends at Puckpedia might be able to to answer this for us. I'll have to bother them after we finish recording, but I'm 80% sure this was the first modern unconditional wafer claim, at least in the I last just, five years. When I saw that, when I saw the fridge retweet, I immediately was like, okay, he's going back to Sweden. Like, I was like, that's fine. Like he can go, if he's going to make it, he could go over there, light it up and then, you know, come back and sign another yeah. contract. So when the ducks claimed them, I was like, "Well, this okay. is this has been a this has been a weird year for waiver claims anyway, because like Arizona's claimed everybody, Montreal just claimed Rem Pitlick, the other Pitlick. Uh, uh, one might say Vegas, the better Pitlick, Vegas, and all their center like fourth, fifth line center claims with like Amadio and Brooks. Like, yeah, I mean, hey, it's you might as well, right? Like, there's. You pay the waiver fee. for anyone who, who isn't familiar with how waivers works. So there's two levels of the, the, the waiver fee depends on how much experience a player has. Uh, but effectively, if you want to claim a player on waivers, you pay the fee to the team. So the Vegas Golden Knights just got made themselves a cool 150 bucks and Lucas Elvin is, finds a new team. So, yeah, it's basically it, it's, a fee, it's a small fee you pay for taking on the other team's contract. Like you take it on, you can't modify it. You get the contract as is, and then you just, they're yours to deal with. So, I mean, it's an incredibly low risk proposition, but you know, it's, it continues a, it's been a very weird year as we're recording. It is Wednesday evening. For those who are curious, the city council meeting is still going on. It's in its second day. Uh, They're uh, in camera discussing the various options about the Calgary event center or lack thereof. So we do not have any, uh, any updates on that yet. Uh, we're told it'll go late. So hopefully it'll be over with by the time you listen to this on Thursday, but who knows? Um, the Flames have played two whole games in the last seven days. Uh, they, I think uh, the day we dropped the last podcast on a Thursday, they lost four one to the defending Stanley cup champion, uh, Tiff Bay lighting. And I, th- I thought, you know, they, they played well enough to lose four one. They, the flames did not look terrible. They did not look great. They 
you know, we, we I've, it, it felt like, Shane, I'm curious how you feel about this. It felt like those games they played against Vegas, or at least the game they played in Vegas, where, you know, you, in, you can look at that game. And it, I think it's this, uh, the two San Jose games, too, were sort of like this, too. Uh, but just San Jose, and especially Vegas, and especially Tampa, just said, Okay, we're just not going to get get you. We're just going to let you get below the goal line or get get in between the, the the dots. Like they played very strong, big boy positional defense. They clogged up the middle of the ice. They did not give uh, the Flames any free passes anywhere below the the the, uh, the circles. Uh, and you know the the Flames only scored once. And Tampa Bay, I thought they they were a more you know structured. I think they were just a better team. They just have more guys they can throw at you, but. That's the kind of game where I thought, you know, the Flames played, the Flames probably de- deserved a better fate against uh, Tampa Bay. Although, you know, five on five, they probably got what they deserved, but they, they just didn't do enough to make Tampa's life interesting or challenging. And I think that sort of carried over the Carolina game where, you know, against Vegas or against uh, Tampa, the Flames looked outmatched. Against Carolina, they just looked a little bit tired at times. You could tell they had played a lot of hockey, a lot of different time zones, and were dreaming of their beds and two days off. And, you know, I thought they had chances to get back into it in Carolina. Against Tampa, Tampa just didn't let them in. Against Carolina, Carolina gave them opportunities to get in. But then, you know, the the Flames, if you look at the execution, you know, it's hard to remember this because this was bloody like five days ago. Uh, but you know, Carolina just they scored some quick goals off of faceoffs. They scored some some quick goals off of goals they just scored when the flames were seemingly still sort of on their heels a bit. And you know, that's that's what good teams do. But I just thought that uh if the flames were gonna win one of those three games, it would have been that uh that Carolina game, but they just they didn't get the breaks, and I don't think they played well enough to get those breaks. I I really didn't like the game against Tampa myself. I feel like Tampa was just better, like from start to finish. I think Tampa just like Calgary was able to like effectively limit like their really like danger for a while, but the uh, Tampa just eventually broke through with the amount of pure skill. They were at full, they had Braden point Kucherov Stamkos. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the two time Stanley cup champions at the height of their powers. It was, they had, and oh, especially, especially that line, the, you know, they had what Palat Kucherov and uh, point. And, you know, I mean, I mean, but even, even if you look at the goals, like, the you know, Kucherov scored two, uh, or Kucherov set up two beautiful goals. One of them was just with the guy in front of the net, and like the guy could have called a realtor. Braden Point, but 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 that was the kind of thing where the Flames they didn't execute particularly well defensively. They got running around, and it led to Braden Point having like he could have made a cup of coffee, had, read a newspaper, had a nap, you know, called his realtor and, and you know, checked in on his uh, portfolio and still had time to deflect that puck in. Like he, I felt bad for, for Dan Vladar because Dan Vladar played, you know, back-to-back games with Jacob Markstrom, not at hundred percent by, by Daryl Sutter's own reckoning. And so they went with their healthy goalie and you know, he was, he was fine. Like, you know, he, he, he didn't do enough to steal the game, but he didn't give the game away. If that makes sense. He was, he was fine. And he was basically put in a no win situation. Vladar, Vladar is always like, he's let in like uh wait, with the Florida game. He had a couple that I didn't like, but that was like the first real time that he had a few goals that I was like, ah, you mean the Tampa, the, the, he didn't play against Florida. Mark Strim no, did. he played, yeah, yeah, he played Tampa and Carolina, but I don't yeah, know. The, yeah, the, you said the, Florida. Yeah, the Carolina. I meant Carolina game. They okay. let in a few, like this Svechnikov one from distance, like that one. And right, one and probably, and right had. after, right after they just got scored on, like that was the backbreaker. I think. Yeah, and and it just kind of like they were actually okay. Like, I, I I'll get into it. I thought I thought Tampa showed them their true power, and Calgary didn't have the depth to compete at any. Like whether at, to be fair, this entire road trip until Carolina, like Florida and Tampa dominated the Flames' top four D. Like the Flames top four were hemmed in there. That Shillington, Tanev, Hannafin, Anderson, they were not on the positive side of any numbers or any metrics and were just trying to do their best to defend against. But th- those are the two best, two of the top five teams in the league. Like guarantee those two. Those, those are three of the top five teams in the league. Like that is, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, yeah. if, if we're getting, if we're getting to give the Flames the benefit of the doubt here, and I think Anyone to a certain degree, this to happen to it's that like you, this isn't yeah. happening against Buffalo. Like like that's how the- how many how many other teams in the league could play that same situation and come away with a better result? I'm not sure how many there are. There, you know, the, like but Vegas, uh, 
Edmonton maybe, but only because of how top heavy they are. Edmonton these days, I don't know. Uh, I, I'd like, say Vegas, Toronto, maybe Washington. I really do like Washington. They're just well, they play well. And Pittsburgh's been on a tear lately. But other than that, like, like the Rangers are shooting higher than they're 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 actually playing. Like the true teams that are like dominating the league are uh, like, like Tampa, Florida, Carolina, which we all just boom boom boomed. Toronto and in the West, it's Vegas recently and Colorado. That's and and Colorado's a good one. Minnesota's dropped off a bit, but like that's those teams I just named, like those five or six teams. That's it. Like those, that's the cream of the crop right now. Yeah. So, so the Flames went through Murderer's Row and came away with zero points. And you know they they I don't think they're very good against Florida. We discussed that at at length last week, so we're not going to belabor the point. But they just it was by the numbers they're they're best offensive game and their worst defensive game. It was just river hockey the whole game. Um, I thought they were, you know, they were, they were in it against Tampa, but not really in danger of stealing the game because they just didn't have the offensive horses going well. Whereas Tampa, you know, if you, if you have that, they, they have enough depth that they have some really good players in their third and fourth line. And then the same kind of thing in, in Carolina, where, I mean, let's be honest, if you have a, if you have the depth to have a Seth Jarvis on your fourth line, you're doing something right. I, I love Seth Jarvis. I loved him at the draft. Uh, I, I was, uh, he, he was always like one of the top picks for me. Like personally, I was always advocating saying, Oh yeah, well, he's killing in Portland. Like he's better than you think. And yeah, he immediately has made the jump and it's, no, like, he was, he's exactly as good as we thought. Like yeah, I, 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 everything when, uh, when I was overall pick, like the Oilers passed on him to take Dylan Holloway, which still might turn out. Okay. But like, that, that I would have taken Jarvis. Was a big thing at the time. At the time, I was like, they should take him. He's the best guy available. But Holloway's Holloway's a little bit bigger and might play a more balanced two hundred foot game. But like Jarvis's upside is just, and he's a a right shot forward who can do as many things in so many areas of the ice. I mean, I'll take the smaller guy if he does that many things. And you know, let's be the flame. I think was that that was the nineteen. Yeah, that's two years ago. Yeah, so Flames got Pelche. They, I mean, that was the year they traded down and uh, no, the same trade. They traded down, drafted Zari. Yeah, yeah. So that was two years ago because the Coronado. Draft. That was twenty. That was the twenty draft. Yeah, they, they, they. It was the same draft as that. Yeah, year after Pelche. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's let's be honest. Like the the as we sit here, the Flames have. Uh, let me just pull up the old abacus here. Uh, the Flames are. 17, 10, and 6. So if you're uh, if you're an optimist, you're going, yeah, they're a game above 500, uh, true 500. And if you're a pessimist, you go, what the hell? They're only a game above 500. And a game above true 500 has them second place in the Pacific Division in terms of points percentage, which is, you know, the NHL uses points percentage during the season when teams have different amounts of games played. So we are not cherry-picking that stat. We are being very defensive about not cherry picking that stat. Uh, the Flames have between one and six games in hand on every team in the division, including the one team ahead of them in points percentage, the Vegas Golden Knights. They have six games in hand on. So, I mean, they have games in hand, and now the schedule gets a little bit easier-ish. They're, they're next to, you know, they're, tomorrow they're, they're playing Ottawa in front of maybe 9,000 people. Who knows how many was going to show up? Uh and then they have, I think, the following Tuesday, they're playing the Florida Panthers, and which would be a really fun rematch. It sounds like Sam Bennett's going to be back in the lineup, and it'll be Florida at the height of their powers going into Calgary. And you know, I think it'll be. I, I think if we're, if we're looking at how, you know, what the Flames can do, the Florida game is be fascinating because it's they, you know, they got they were you know capital N not capital G good against Florida. They were just, it was just an off night for them. And they were in a position where, you know, an off night for them ended up being a very weird game, but, you know, they get to have last change. They get to determine who plays against who and it's their barn granted with no fans or very close to fans. So uh, insert Broward County, Florida joke here. I'm just kidding. We love you guys in Florida. You could be like Frank and make some Kodak jokes about Florida. Ooh, ooh, we're not gonna we're not gonna make any Kodak moment jokes here. The the NHL told us not to. Uh, but yeah, that's so fair, I, that's, I, fair, that's fair. We'll just we'll just do what they did. We'll just move on. So yeah, the the Flames have a ton of games in hand and a very home heavy home heavy schedule. They still got thirty home games left. They have ten. Yeah, like, so I've if, never seen a schedule like it's obviously weird, but 
like they're literally going to spend so much time at home with their families and their kids while they wait for games because like right now they they have probably three-fifths of their games left at home like like the majority of the schedule is completely at home for long like right now what, they got they got they have 40 they have 49 games left and 30 of them are at home and 19 are on the road. So that's pretty good. They don't play. They play one more Eastern time zone game against Columbus. Everything else is central Pacific or mountain, which means I'm sorry, gang, no more of those fun five o'clock starts where you get to, you know, you get to drive home, listen to Pat, and then you get to eat your dinner, listen to Pat and watching a hockey game. So sorry guys. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I think if we're gonna, if, if we're going to see the measure of the flames, it's going to be, how they take advantage of the schedule because it's going to be hot and heavy, but all, all indications from the league are they're going to be they're a one. They're not going to make any changes to the January schedule from here on out. It's the January schedule is what it is. It's not changing the February schedule, which we could have as early as tomorrow uh, is going to be nuts, but it's going to be like the, the, the word is they're, they're going to be adding a, a week onto the season. So the season will last until I believe February 5th or February 6th. And we, I got to talk to Puckpedia so we can figure out what exactly the cap applications of extending the April, season. Right? April, yeah. No, 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 because they're playing. If ended in February, we'd be, we'd be. Out no, of it's. I said, I said, I said May. I said May. We're gonna have a regular season last till the first, the first week hit in May. May. Oof. Oh, okay. I mean, at this point, I'll watch it whenever. But I mean. But the you know the extra the extra week of the season means that instead of cramming forty two games into eighty four days, they're cramming forty two games into what's that ninety one days. It's a little bit better, but still going to suck. So the nice thing for the Flames is they don't have to do a lot of traveling, like you said, Shane. Like they're going to be at home, they're going to be with their families. It's going to be you know I, I think I think the challenge is when you have a road heavy schedule, everything's regimented for you. It's show up at this time, eat here, sleep here. And at home you have your wife and your kids and your, you know, all, all sorts of commitments. So, you know, a, a home heavy schedule can be good or bad. And it's going to, I think we're going to see the true metal of this team one way or the other, because, you know, if, if they, they're, they're in a position, if they go 500, they're in the playoffs. If they go, you know, above 500, like based on the first 30, some games of the season, we think they should be capable of doing Maybe they'll go better than that. So I don't know. It's uh, but uh, the th- something that's come up a lot, and uh, we've discussed it in, in the Flames Nation Slack. We've discussed it uh, on the Twitter machine. We've discussed it in this fine podcast. Uh, is my goodness, the Flames have a lot of uh, let's call them guys on the team, uh, and by that I mean there's, like, there's know, a few guys. <laughs> there's a few guys. Like we don't we, we don't want to spare. These are obviously high end hockey players. They are better than Shade and I at hockey. Let's. Let's be completely honest here. So this is not us throwing rocks and saying that we're any better than them at ice hockey, but it is us as accredited people who have a, have microphones and someone who's willing to publish a podcast for us. Thank you to the bosses. Uh, you know, we can, we can sort of provide some constructive criticism to the Calgary Flames hockey operations group. So uh, according to a metric that uh, is used quite a bit is, uh, you know, it's usually the term is, above replacement. So uh, there are wins above replacement, standings points above replacement, goals above replacement. The idea is that you would like to have a hockey team that is built up of better than replacement level players, because that way your team will be good. Uh, Not all roles are created equally. So you would expect certain guys in certain roles to have better opportunities to have a high goals above replacement. Penalty killers, you know, generate defensive goals above replacement because they prevent goals. Uh, Defensive forwards prevent goals. Uh, pl- players who draw a lot of penalties uh, create goals for their team above replacement. Offensive players scoring goals or getting scoring chances create goals above replacement. So uh, in, in the analytics sphere, typically when we talk about a player's worth, we look at how good they are above replacement in terms of goals above replacement. So right now, let's look at the bottom end of the Flames roster. The Flames currently, according to our friends at Evolving Hockey, Cheap plug for them. Their data is fantastic, and they they have primers and everything. So if you it's it's a I forget how big how big how large their subscription fee is, but it's definitely worth it because you know you get you get to mock me with data. I don't know. We Shane and I love data, so we're never gonna. I'm, I go to Evolving Hockey, uh, just for for the public. I go every single day, literally every single day. I'm there, and, and twice on Sundays, as well as uh, as well as another site. I'll plug Hockey Viz. I go there 
every single day, both of them, uh, multiple times. And it's because every time I hear of a player, I'm like, okay, well, either, you know, I want to get, stay up to date. So that they're fantastic. It's easy to read. We love it. Uh, Pike, back to you. Oh, and natural stat trick and, uh, and hockey uh, stat cards. Those are our, those are the big four for, those, uh, I for use those nerds. two. I use those two for every single one of the beyond the box scores. I play, yeah, I love uh, hockey stat cards. Is uh, it, it, it's a visual way to track uh, Dominic Lachesian. I'm going to say his name so bad. Lachesian. Uh, Lachesian. There we go. Dominic Lachesian. Pike saved me, Dom. Uh, Dom, appreciate Calgary more, please. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> they publicly put uh, his game score, uh, his own private model. Uh, a guy named uh, is, he deserves the respect. Uh, Cole is his name. Uh, I think it's at CPVI on Twitter. Um, he built a program to summarize it, and uh, it's a good way to track. It tracks all things like it. It, it takes analytics as well as box score stats and combines them. So, hockeystatcards.com. And there, okay, I'm done all my plugs. Anyway, but yeah, before we get into yammering about things, we wanted to make sure that we provided some uh, some context for our yammerings because a lot of people do a lot of cool work that we basically you know use to whine about things. Uh, so the Flames, based on uh, on evolving hockey's uh, uh, GAR model, they have six players on their roster uh, who have played. I think that I forget how many games uh, you have to do to qualify. Basically, it's NHL regulars who are. Uh, in the in the negatives for goals above replacement, so these are their below replacement players. Uh, coming in dead last is Erica Branson at negative one point eight goals. Uh, Trevor Lewis negative one goals. Brad Richardson point negative point seven goals. Nikita Zadorov negative point five goals. A surprise one here: Michael Backlund negative point two goals. And bringing up uh, the, the the closer to as close to the Bendos line as you can. Uh, Tre- uh, Tyler Pitlick point one below. So those are the six. Um, if there you're if you're if you're looking at if you're looking at the Flames, and you're going, man, wouldn't it be great if they could compete against Tampa and compete against Florida and compete against Carolina and compete against Vegas and compete against Colorado? As in, you know, they've 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 had they've had the the measuring stick games and they've sort of been shown here are the parts that you're not great at, which is great. Uh, and the data from 30 odd games suggests that these, these, I, I would say, look, going through them, Eric Branson is, his role is to be a shutdown defenseman. So is Nikita Zorov. Uh, Zadorov is uh, almost a full goal above replacement at even strength at suppressing scoring chances. He's a, a 0.8 uh, for even strength defense. So Zadorov's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Eric Branson is below replacement level for even strength offense. Or even strength defense, rather, and both he and uh, Zadorov are 0.2 goals above replacement for shorthanded defense. So, I mean, that's a lot of money you're spending on two they're, guys. Like one, to be decent, like to be just above, like to be a, yeah, they're they're fine. They're killers. That's that's basically what they are at this point. Zadorov, like, yeah, for, Zadorov's defensive impact has been fine. It he really defends the slot yeah, part yeah. well. The second he starts to move literally out of that position, it, it struggles. <laughs> yeah, the, the the numbers back up the eye test there. Uh, Trevor Lewis is he has a 0.3 goals above replacement uh, five on five offense, and he's a 0.7 for penalties. So he generates he draws penalties and he he generates a little bit of offense, but he's not great at anything else. He doesn't play the power play, so that's not really an impact there. He's not good defensively, and he's in a fourth line role where you would expect him to. Be not bad defensively, so that's not great. Uh, Zadorov, we already talked about. Brad Richardson is, uh, you know, he's a, a .4 goals above replacement uh, for even strength defense. So he's he is the the player that that Lewis kind of sort of we thought he'd be in that Richardson can defend, but he can't do anything else at least based on the numbers. Michael Backlund, if you're thinking to yourself, oh man, Michael Backlund, I can't believe he sucks now. He doesn't suck. He's he just he can't generate offense this year. Like just let's, let's call a spade a spade. He's I believe negative 2.9 goals above uh, he's 2.9 goals below replacement at generating offense, even, even strength. He's a, a full goal above replacement at five on five defense and almost a full goal above replacement at for shorthanded defense. So he's, he's a really good defensive player. His offense is not registering whatsoever. So the, that's his, his lack of offense is negating his strong defensive play and Pitlick, um, he draws penalties. He defends somewhat well, 0.6 goals above replacement defensively, 0.9 penalties. Uh, so, but that's washed out by his lack of offense too. So 
Well, the I same mean, lack of offense rankings come from uh, three, three, significantly three forwards, uh, Backland, Pitlick, and um, Sean at uh, even strength. They're, they're probably the lowest impact, like overall impact. Um, but And so that's why roughly, you know, currently playing Backland with Pitlick consistently is not working. And the numbers are shouting that from the heavens. And... Uh, and if if you I look think. at if you look at the lines, I mean, we, we've I think the, here here is the challenge. Here's the challenge. So if you're let's just say you and I are sitting down with Daryl Sutter, and Daryl goes, "Okay, boys, you're the numbers guys. What what should I do for for lines?" Here's the issue: your two choices are to put all the guys who can't generate offense together and just have them defend, or you spread them out and maybe maybe your good players drag them along, like the you know. W- w- uh, that's been sort of the strategy with, uh, with how Andrew Manchipani has been used this year, where Manchipani is just a great play driver. So his role is to drag guys along with him. But, you know, that also means that Manchipani isn't getting to play with guys who can do it themselves. And so it makes that line a little bit weaker. So you can go top heavy and load up all your good offensive players and just tuck away all your not good offensive players in one line. We've seen that happen with Monaghan this year at times where there's a right now, Sean Monaghan's playing with Milan Lucic, who generally is pretty decent generating offense. You know, Lucic is one of their more underrated players offensively in the league this year. Uh, his cap hits not great, but he's, he's actually really performing well relative to everything else. Monaghan's sort of a non-factor offensively this year. And, but he's good enough on the power play that his negative offensive contributions at five on five have been negated. So he's basically a slightly above replacement level player overall. And then Lewis, who just isn't a good five on five player for generating offense. So you have on that fourth line, for example, two guys who just can't generate anything and Milan Lucic, whose job is to do things. And you can make the same case with, uh, what's that? Uh, it's Dubé, Mangiapane, and, and uh, Richie now. And then Pitlick, Backlund, Coleman is the other line. And again, Backlund, I don't know. It's hard to isolate the impact of who Backlund's been playing with, but, you know, it's been Brett Ritchie, who's not great offensively. And it's been Pitlick recently, who's not great offensively. And it's been sort of a rotation of guys, none of whom are amazing offensively. And I mean, Backlund and Coleman have been doing a really good job defending. Coleman's numbers defensively are very good. His numbers offensively are pretty good too. So Coleman's been exactly what they've been hoping for. But it's just a question of like Shane, Shane, like if barring going out and getting different players, which it's going to be an option soon. And we'll get into that in a second, but part outside of just getting better players, what can they do with these guys? They, they, they planned this, like they, they built this roster before the season even started and they decided that this is what they were going to go with. Like you could, you could tell from training camp that this was, they were ride or dying with it. Like they, they did it on paper early and they didn't, they didn't wait for, you know, to see what the results were. Now they're at a point where, yeah, they can make changes. Um, you really like right off the hop, like we all, we know Zadarov and Gabranson haven't been um, tremendous together. They've been serviceable, but they're not, you know, like you can improve that. And if you have an opportunity to, you should now, you can improve it on paper. Does it, is the player you want going to do the play the role the coach wants him to play? That's another question. A lot of people tend not ask. Cause I, I believe this coach Darrow gives people specific jobs and says, I want you to do this and focus on this. And when, when, when he, he, he pushed, he pushed back at the, like the vernacular we commonly use in hockey wonkery is talking about rolling four lines. And Daryl doesn't like that. He doesn't like his team being referred to as a defensive team because defensive teams sit back and just try to kill offense. And they're a checking team where they four check hard to try to, you know, create opportunities for themselves by simply being a relentless four check team. And part of that is structural defensive hockey to generate uh, turnovers and scoring chances the other way. But the other thing he hates is he uses four lines. He doesn't roll four lines. Rolling four lines means that you just sort of, you know, blankly go, okay, line one, it's your turn. Line two, it's your turn. Like, you know, you just sort of go when, you know, when a, 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 an egg timer dings and you just switch up guys and whoever's next up in the rotation goes. He uses four lines in the sense that they have uh, most of the time, four groups of guys, each with a specific role and a specific task and a specific function that he uses in specific situations. But, you know, some of them, like, so uh, if, if you're going out and you're saying, like, if you're going out and spending money and you're bringing in Brad, Brad Richardson or Trevor Lewis or whoever, 
you have a conversation with them saying, like Shane, if I told you, like Shane, your only your only job is to be the podcast. If you know that when you sign up, you're okay with it, right? Like if if yeah, we say it, it, this is your only thing you can do. Before you get here, if they, if you constantly communicate, say, hey, we're going to have you play as a fourth line player, and your job is to play defense first. Now that 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 hinders a little bit of offense because when you play defense first hockey in the offensive zone, a lot of these players that they picked up, uh, like Pitlick, Richardson, Lewis, they have a defense first mentality, and so they don't forecheck as aggressively as you'd think. So they, but they also employ, you know, the immediate. You know, we're not trying to carry that line's not trying to carry the puck in. They're dumping it in and making sure it gets deep. So to use his lines, that's necessary. As we mentioned in an earlier podcast, uh, if you, if you, every line tries to carry the puck across the defense can cheat. And by having lines that dump the puck in, it keeps them honest and it actually creates space for your prime players, even when they're not on the ice, it just unintentionally keeps the deep back. So it's important for that aspect but also when they're not concerned or their primary goal is not to score, which I really don't think it is, uh, they, they play higher in the zone. So they're not around the goal mouth. They're not fighting in the corners. They're playing back. So they're ready in case a rush comes the other way. And that's, that's okay. But you don't need that on every single line. You need your second line to score you goals. You need your third line to also score you goals. You need filling the lineup with these guys that do this it's good in a sense but it's it, it's a direct hindrance to the offense all three i mean the the numbers are similar for richardson and lewis like almost to a point like they're 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 very similar and pitlick's on the negative too so all three guys well yeah they've been providing decent well not 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 lewis but uh Pitlick and Richardson have provided decent even strength offense. They've been such an offensive hole that, you know, it's the, the, the team needs goals at this point. And you've got three players that are playing the exact same role. What are you going to do about it? Cause you want to compete this year. This roster is built to compete this year. And if you're not, then you have other questions that are coming very fast that need to be answered in terms of contracts for players. So if you're going to compete, you need to go get offense. You just got proven that you can't play against the top, top teams. You don't have enough goal depth. Even if your team was playing good, they probably would have thwomped, thwomped you with how they were playing. It's, you know, something, it, you, this is a reflection point on this current season. And they need to do something to get goals. Now, we're going to talk about that. But as currently constructed, they're playing defense first. And as we, we kind of hinted at this, we, that some players would be able to score. But you know, th this would be a real problem for these guys. These guys, I did season previews. None of them have great finishing ability. The, the, the one anomaly that you, everyone has an aging curve, we lost significant amounts of contribution from Sean Monahan and offensively, Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman really haven't been where you'd want them to be. Defensively, they've been fantastic, but someone still has to put the puck in the net to win the game against Connor McDavid's and Nikita Kucherov's. You'll never win the cup if you don't have that. So, it's a very important reflection point. Uh, they're, they're actually accruing decent amount of cap space now, which I think uh, Pike's got way more information on that than myself. And well, that, that's, I think in an ideal world, like we, we've been like talking to pro scouts, talking to people around hockey and media and in hockey ops, wherever the thought process of the Calgary Flames has always been this. If Michael Backlund's your second best center, you're going to have issues. If Michael Backlund's your third line center, that means you got two really good centers ahead of him. And I think you know, I, I don't, the, the question I have is what's their biggest problem? Because right now the flames have, if, if, if they wanted to fill, to use up their cap space tomorrow, they could add about 2.84 million in caps cap hits for the rest of the season. And then they're done. They're not going to do that. They're going to wait and try to maximize as much as they can. My question is what is, what is the, the flames biggest hole? Because, you know, I, I think, I think good Branson and Zdorov are good enough for the style of play the Flames want to have if they can solve another one of the problems? I think two things. I think Michael Stone, based on how he played last year, deserves a shot. Uh, he actually projected well with decent numbers and decent defensive impact in the role given, and I feel like he might be able to match up with uh, Zadarov a little better, but they haven't taken Good Branson ever out of the lineup, and that's a whole other thing. Um, 
the other thing, and it's kind of sounds so mean, is they need a second line center because the guy they're currently paying to be a second line center is their fourth line center, and that that's blatantly it. That's too much money tied up in a guy. And and, and you add in Lucic's contract for his third line contributions. I mean, like th- those those two, like Lucic has at least been better, and we kind of accepted that. But when you get two guys totaling over twelve million of your cap, you're not producing like the money that you've spent. And you don't have those other guys overproducing, there's your problem. The problem, and I hate to say it because I, 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 it was derailed by unfortunate injuries. But Sean Monahan not playing up to his contract and not filling that second line center hole is 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 a major point of the detriment of this offense. And I want him to succeed more than anything because I, I just he, he he earned the money. He his play earned him that contract, and he more, more than lived up to it for the majority of it but at the tail end here they're trying to compete and you can't have that money tied up in and here, here's the thing imagine how much it must suck right now to be sean monahan and you know i don't know sean monahan personally but sean monahan's always been sort of a very driven guy a team first guy we have stories about him dating back to his time in the ottawa 67s about what a great captain teammate person he is you know He's not perfect, but he, he's been a, a very good citizen for the Flames. Imagine how much it must suck for him. Dude, you have, like, on paper, the best team they've had in forever, and it's right when your body breaks down. And he he can't – like, it must be killing him to not be able to do the things Sean Monaghan is used to be doing. It kills me to even have to, like, criticize him because, like, I don't want to. Like, I like the situation is something that's so unfortunate, but, like, he's still playing. He played through it last year instead of waiting on it. No one forced him to get surgery. There was stories of he couldn't even bend over or he couldn't sit down after a game. Like, and they were still letting him play because he wanted to play and like, like all of that. And I'm just like, I think of all that and the fact that he still hasn't rebounded. And I'm just, I, I think, you know, like that was something that obviously he should have been dealt with right away. And, and I think the challenge too is they dealt with it. Like he got, surgeries and if like this this might just be what's left of them and, and that's and, sad it's it's and, it's really unfortunate and i think it's in a way it's kind of it's tragic for, for him as a hockey player because you know he was you know dating back to for years they used to say oh man they're never they can't get a they can't get a center for for, for jerome mcginla like three months after they traded jerome mcginla they got the center that probably could have been the center for jerome mcginla and then they get so many great years out of him and then you know, this all the surgeries and all the punishment catches up to him. I mean, you it's, know, maybe maybe he finds a way. Maybe like, he finds a way to rebound. I don't know. That's why a thousand games in the NHL is such a big accomplishment. Like, look at Dan- Danny Heatley never made it to a thousand. Ilya Kovalchuk, I don't know if he made it in his second stint or third stint or whatever he made. Like, there's a lot. Paul Korea never made a thousand games. Like, like, the, like it's hard to play in this. Mike Bossy. Yeah. Like there's oh, yeah. there's plenty of great Bobby, players who have Bobby no longevity because they're bought Eric Lindros. Yeah, like, like all of these players, Mark Savard, like these players, they didn't make it. Injuries derailed everything about them. And and Sean Monahan has become the latest in the victim of massive injuries that have set you back. And and imagine yeah. and and like we said, this I still think like no matter what, he's gonna get another contract, whether they trade him, buy him out. Or, or contract ends and he goes somewhere else. I still think he gets another contract. Top ten picks always get the extra for, runway for, for the for the amount of good hockey he's played. I think he deserves the the ability to sort of call call his shot. Like it may not it might not just be here, you know, because I think the financial realities for the Flames are what they are. I think they're going to have to figure out how to make some cap space open up over the summer. And to be completely honest, John Monahan being bought out is the easiest way to solve as many problems as possible. But in a more you know macro sense, I hope he gets a chance to sort of finish his career on his own terms because it's it'd be tragic if a guy who is that good for that long just has to you know bring it up because his body is quitting on him. And we and we know like like I'm going to use Corey Perry as an example. Corey Perry lost his ability to be a top line player, right? He recreated his game. He's recently found tremendous success going to two Stanley cup finals in a row. And now on Tampa has a possibility to do three, maybe I'll actually win one this time. And, and you can recreate that. Steve Eiserman completely changed how he played later in his career to keep it going. Like, like this is something that possible, but the players got to learn how to do that themselves. They got to understand they're not that player anymore and they need to change how they impact things. And going forward, I hope no matter what happens with Sean Monaghan, I wish them nothing but the best, 
But the question was remains, what's the single biggest problem with this roster? And right now it's the second line centers playing fourth line center and the money's tied up there. And yeah, they're going to get a bunch of cap space to do something now, but long-term, if you want to keep a competitive roster, especially this year, and you've got a coach that wants to compete, you, you need to address this uh, sooner rather than later. So, yeah. And, and, you know, if, if the flames, like the, if the flames wait to the trade deadline, I'm fully expecting them to wait as close to the trade deadline as they can, they can add $7.6 million in cap hits and be compliant. Granted. I mean, they don't have a lot of what I would call a assets. Uh, they have a first rounder this year. They have two second rounders. This is considered to be a pretty good draft class, better than last year's pretty good draft class. And 23 is better. 2023 is better. 2023 is going to be the might be, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not even playing this lightly. 2023 might be the best draft class we've t- had. 23, 23 has that yeah. crazy Russian kid whose name I always get wrong. And uh, Matt Bedard, right? Matt Baymikov. Matt Baymikov. There's more than that though. Like one of the, the kid that's currently like talked about his third, just Michigan goal off the rush the other night at, at, at again, he's same age as Bedard. He just, he just went behind the net and Michigan gold it. And like, like these kids, this draft class is ridiculously special. So if there's ever a year to suck, it's that year. That's not this year though. Like they can still try to compete this year. So yeah, this, this year is pain for Shane. Next year is, can we come up with a rhyming scheme for next year yet? Next year. If you finish last, you win no matter what, because you're going to get a top three pick and it's going to be like an impact. Like, this isn't like Connor McDavid, uh, and like, and then it, Dylan Strom goes third. No, this is like, you know, Connor McDavid, Eichel, possibly like a Tavares, Stamkos being available. So, yeah, I think for A assets, maybe you include a first or a second in, in 2023 as, a, as an A asset. But in terms of like on the farm, like you have Pelche, Coronado, uh, Zeri, Dustin Wolf. What else? Is, like, is there anyone else you think is in that group? I wouldn't classify anyone else as A. No, okay, you're, you're, let's just let's just say this hypothetically, and you know we'll we'll openly speculate because speculation is fun. Let's just say you're the Flames. You're going, okay. Uh, how much does it cost to get uh, one of those highfalutin fancy fours that the San Jose Sharks have right now? Uh, well, they got some guys. Avoid, uh, first of all, I would avoid Timo Meyer. Um, you know he's scoring like crazy. I but like his his qualifying offer with one year to go is ten million dollars and like people are already freaking out over the Kachuk qualifying offer. I don't think you need that with two people and nineteen million dollars. I mean, so. you can just not qualify him. Yeah, but if you're gonna pay assets to get someone like that, you're you gotta you yeah. gotta. So, but I, I the the one I've seen most often is Tom Tomas Hurdle. He's he's he plays the right. He's a, yet another left shot forward to play the right side. So good for him. He's, he like, can play center. He can play center. So that would potentially knock Michael Backlund down the rotation a bit. So your second line is what? Mon- you, could, you could have a second line of Mangiapani, Hurdle, and uh, Blake Coleman potentially. If they wait, if they wait and Dallas falls out of it, the perfect, perfect, perfect piece for a second line with Mangiapani would be Joe Pavelski. 100%. He's on a one-year deal. He's looking for a cup. If you're competing, he's the world's best. You, then you'd have Kachuk and Pavelski that could tip the puck and just part tremendous, one of the best in front of the net, maybe the best since Thomas Holmstrom in Detroit. Like He's been fantastic. He is currently the best tipper in the entire league by a mile over Landis Cog and and Chuck's one another one of those really good my, my, my cousin the Sharks fan one of his cats is named after Pavelski so my cousin would love that maybe I his daughters him. become Blaze fans he's a right hand shot he can play right wing or center depending what you need like he's played center for years I probably more suited the right wing at this point but I mean based on how Calgary plays you he he's just an offensive player all around I like him Person. Okay. Hurdle. Okay. Hurdle. Hurdle's more of a center, and they really need a center, and he's kind of a power forward. He too, uh, he creates his offense the same way Manjapani. He loves driving the net and creating chaos around the crease. So having two guys that are always nose to the net down there could create a lot of uh, garbage. Because then, because then potentially you have uh, a guy in Kachuk that does that in the first line, a guy in in. Uh... And hurdle that does that in the second line, a guy in Machapani who does that in the third line, or you put them all right. together and just have everyone hate life. 
here's the thing. I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely with the way they're constructed, like they're, they're, if they want an impact piece, they probably are only getting one. And so I would load manage, I would load, I would load up two lines for offense and, and you could still do Backlund Coleman, someone, you'd be Dubé manage player X and then Lucic Backlund Coleman as your third line to shut play, players down. Uh, if, if you get another impact player that can drive play at five on five, you can put Dubé in because manager already does that. You can put Dubé there because Dubé's offense is still like his speed and his, his play, like his ability, I think would help that line and his ability to get back on the back check. So I, I, I like that. I, they, they definitely need to do something like they have, like they, yeah. it, they want to compete. They have to get us. And it has, in my mind, it has to be a center. They need a second line center, someone that can play between Lindholm and Backland and impact the game every night, whether it's specifically in offense, because they've got the shutdown guy. And Lindholm's, Lindholm, people are talking about as a Selkie leader based on his offense plus his defensive impact against top competition and how well he's done. So you absolutely need a second line center. So that's why I've limited it in my options right now to Pavelski and Hurdle. If other something something else comes up, I mean, consider it. But you, you need to make the right move and you need to do it so it complements what you already have. And Manj is yeah. a tremendous creator of offense around the crease. And so he really needs someone that can either get him the puck around the crease or also be in the crease to finish off those chances he creates. And especially well, if you if you look at the things the Flames weren't good at in Tampa, I think our hurdle solves or at least tries to solve that kind of issue in terms of generating offense right around right below the goal, right underneath the the faceoff circles. And the other thing is, you know, what is your and GMs talk to their coaches all the time. And, you know, you know, he's going to Sutter and what does he want? And like, even with his comments, he, you know, he complimented Pelche the other day, said he still needed time. I, I, I agree with that. I'm fine with that. But he also at the tail end of his comments just had to mention that Pelche was undersized. You know, he, 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 Pelche, he is and he is and he is. So, you know, but just just thinking about that, you know, the coach really likes guys that can play that aren't undersized. And Thomas Hurdle falls in that category which is why I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's a prime topic and absolutely play. People should talk about it. Um, it a lot with the Valimaki going down to Stockton and the, the cap banking, it's logistically possible. And uh, if you, and then afterwards you got, well, that's a conversation for another time. But I mean, the other thing is if you're going to acquire a player at the trade deadline, you need to, we need to discuss um, eventually uh, the Johnny Gaudreau situation. Not, not maybe not right now. That's, that's going to take a whole podcast in itself. But oh, well, at, at some point, we're going to dedicate a whole episode just to talking yeah. about Goudreau because, like, we I'll say to. this for Johnny Goudreau. Like, you know, I've, this this will make me sound like an old old man because I am. I the first Flames event I ever covered was the first development camp Goudreau ever came into. As uh, he was seventeen, he turned eighteen the month after development camp, and he looked small. He was smaller than uh, the, uh, than Alex Ruiz, who at the time was working on working for Flames TV. Like Alex Ruiz did a stand up with him, and like she had a couple inches on him. Like he was legitimately short. And then he, he you know, I think he's legit. He's about five seven, five six and a half, five seven. He's maybe a buck sixty five, buck seventy with his gear on, but he's just, you know, he he. We, we, when Daryl was talking about, you know. Elite, elite offensive players. Goudreau is an elite player in the USHL. And at that point, people weren't sure about the USHL. And then he went to college and he became like right away a very good to borderline elite college player as a freshman. Then he was an elite co- uh, collegiate scorer as a, a sophomore. He was one of the top, he was a, a, he was a shortlisted player for the Hobie Baker. And then the year he, uh, his junior year when he went pro, he you know, the 13-14 season, he won the Hobie Baker. He was he was a gold medalist at the World Juniors. Like he he did he literally did everything he you could score. as a collegiate he did player score at the World Juniors too. I believe like I think he led the yeah. seven point seven games. I think and- he, like jo- Johnny Gaudreau was you know if you looked at his playing style and asked yourself how the hell is this guy going to succeed, the answer is by you point to him on the ice and say by doing that. Uh, Pelche is more of a a backlandy player. He has, a, I'd say, a bit more offensive pop to his game than Backlund, but he's smaller, and he he relies on his speed. He relies on his senses, his his elusiveness. Like you know, don't get me wrong, I'm a big Pelche guy, but Pelche offensively is not in the same league as Johnny Gaudreau, and I don't the, think he should be expected to be. The, the only real direct NHL level comparable, and it's it's not close because the other guy's a little better. 
but for me, the only real like 100% comparable based on playing styles and, 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 and stick hands is Patrick Kane. And Kane's better, no doubt. He's for for, for for Pelche or for, for, for Johnny. For Johnny. For Johnny. Yeah, I'd say so. I think Pelche needs I'd to so. model his game more like Jonathan Marshes, though. Like that's, that's I'd say he's I'd he's like. sort of he's sort of in the Marcheseau, Mangiapani style Claude, of sort Claude of Giroux, Claude Giroux kind of like like no, I don't think he'll ever get those offensive totals, but I feel like he, he was great defensively at the World Junior. Like there's a reason he ended up on the top line at the World Junior. He's he's, he, he's let's let's be honest. He's 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 probably going to end up being somewhere between Backlund and Froelich in terms of his overall team yeah. fit, yeah. which is you need those guys. But I, I do I sympathize Middles. with Daryl. I I sympathize with Daryl because the idea is like you you want to have like realistically you don't want you you want Pelche to come into training camp next year with some swagger and with his eyes on stealing someone's job because that's what he's going to need to do. And I think he'll be able to do it, but I think he'll. I think he probably needs a game or two in the NHL to show him what he has, doesn't have in the tank right now. I, I, I think uh, if the Flames clinch, I think we, we've, Pike and I have talked about this. We, we, we talk hockey literally nonstop all the time. But uh, I think if they clinch at any point in time and there's games left, I think not only if he's still like top 10 scoring in the AHL at that point, I think he earned the call up like he earns the right to make that nhl money the last few days based on how great he played in the minors and you could call yeah. him up playing two, I, three. I, you're not up and sending him down i, I think the last the last two games of the season if the flames have clinched your last couple of games of the season are about making sure they're ready mentally so the two games before that if you have the ability to to sit some guys and bring up a Luke Philp, a, a Pelche, a, a Pospisil, guys like that. Some guys just to see if they have anything in the tank. The Flames have a lot of players who have uh, who are going to be RFAs, if they, so they have to decide if they're going to qualify them. Some guys who are going to be group six free agents, they have to decide what they want to do with them. So I think those kind of things. But yeah, the, I think this is going to be fascinating. And you know, we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna hit time in a, certain, in a little bit. But I'm I'm just curious. Like the Flames can only do one thing, like one substantial thing they can do it without removing anybody from the roster, which is great because the roster as currently constructed is good enough that they're fairly comfortably in the playoff picture right now. They're not in danger of falling out immediately with another bad Fortnite. Probably they are out of the playoff picture, but they have enough runway that they can just keep the gang together. And the way how, they've played, how much I just, the way they've played I, I'm like against lower level competition, like, not what they just went through the gauntlet. They'll be fine. Like, yeah, they're, they're I, I feel comfortable right now saying they're probably a playoff team. But my question is, what do you, what, what's the, if they can only do one thing, if they can only do, you know, Tomas hurdle or Joe Pavelski, what price tag you're comfortable with? Because, you know, if, if the, if the price tag is a first and one or two, a first, a second and a prospect for, uh, for however many games of hurdle, or Pavelski or whoever, is that worth it? Question, uh, counter question, which is very important to my answer. Does the GM currently know the state of his status? Should he not get to where management wants him to go? Like if he feels like if this doesn't work, is he gone? Like, does the GM know that? Like, like, is I, that, is that, I don't, I, honestly, I, I'm not sure if he cares. Like, I, I think, I think, because I think I, this, this nice should be manage from a, it's nice to manage from like a future standpoint, but like also when are you going to go for it as well? I, I think this is, I think this is the year they have to, well, they, they put, they got the coach. This is the, this is the GM's roster. This is the one he built. Yeah. Albeit there's some flaws. You're going to have holes that you can add to like, if they're in a playoff spot at the trade deadline, which they should be, you're going to add to this roster without subtracting from it. So that's that's always something like okay, let's go. And he hasn't at like he, he reminds me of Kevin Chevaldeoff in a bit. You know how long it took yeah. Kevin Chevaldeoff to add Paul Stastny? Years. He wouldn't trade a pick. He wouldn't add nothing. It wasn't okay, until if he it's, was like he wasn't until he was ready. Right. If if the price tag is a first, a second, and let's just say they ask for Connor Zary, do you do it? I think no. No, I think that's. Uh, for a rental, I think first and a prospect is where you want to play. Like you could trade this year's first round pick if you're a playoff team. I'm fine with that. You got two seconds, that backs it up. Uh, you know, a, a decent. If you're going to include one of the A prospects, I don't think they're going to include the center. Uh, you know, it depends on how what the other team values too. Like I, I, I don't think that I don't think they look at moving Wolf. 
No, I don't think. If, if you ask for Wolf, I think it's a very short conversation. If you ask for Wolf, I better get a player with term and you better be taking Sean Monahan. Like, like, you know, you yeah. And, be they, and the thing is, even even if they move Monahan or buy him out, they can't afford to add guys with term because that the money they don't have yet for Monahan is probably spoken for. We yeah, it's tied up in manage Chuck and Gaudreau, like hundred percent. So you know, and you then next year you also I, I I've said this before, I really don't see Nikita Zadorov coming back. I feel like he's gonna want to raise or something. And you know, just the marriage with his I don't I don't see Pitlick coming back. I don't see I don't, I, I don't see a Richardson lot of these guys coming, coming back. back. I don't I th- I think maybe uh if he can pick it up or whatever start producing. I think I can see R- Richardson has two rings back. and a lot of mileage on him. And I mean he's earned his rings. Let's put it that way. Yeah oh yeah he was he was and he's he got a goal 19 goals one season too. Like he's not like he's so so you're 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 thinking it's a first and a prospect or a first and a second and you'd be comfortable with that. I, I think, uh, I think if it's going to be a first and a second, you've, you've got to still got to include like a lower level prospect. You know, it, it depends on the negotiation. Like, uh, I, I think a first, absolutely. You're, uh, if you're picking lower than twentieth, your first, and you're trying to win, trade your first. Like that's, it's you're gonna you could the way Calgary's drafted lately. I'm fine with them. They have two second round picks. That's both the way they've been drafting. That's at least one impact player. Just, just just on revisionist history right now and uh i they absolutely need a second line center so you 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 put start the table with hey i need that center uh let's start the contracts i'll give you a first what prospects are you interested in uh the only one i really wouldn't touch and i mean it i wouldn't touch him is matthew coronado he's in a tier of his own above pelche and zari in my personal opinion and he, no like if you're gonna get if you're he's he's worth more than the first He's worth more than the first round pick this year. I believe that in my, based on everything I've, I've tracked, watched. Absolutely. He's the only prospect. And I, I would, I would have traded Coronado for Eichel 100%. Like, like I wouldn't, but, but for a rental, no, that's, that's not a prospect you trade. You're not, that's too much future. That's a guy that I project to be a top six impact, possibly first line forward. So, I mean, let's let's be honest. This is the organization that traded Brett Hall, but they got two very big pieces. And Marty okay, Sears. no, no. Let's no. If if the idea is you're trying to you're trying to do things like they traded guys for John Tanelli in '86, they traded guys, they traded Brett Hall, and you know they got Wamsley and, and Rob Ramage. I mean, if if you think you're a piece away, and I think you owe it to the the group that you put together to go and get that piece and. Mm-hmm. The price is gonna suck. Let's be honest, but that's the yeah. that's the price you pay. I trade. I trade Pelche. I trade Zari. I would. I would. And I, you know, that's. And then people might say that's blasphemous. But I'm like, you, if you want to go for it, if you truly want to, you get. That's what it costs. Like, if you want to compete, if you want to try for the Stanley Cup, this team needs a second line center, and you have to pay the price. The only price I wouldn't pay is Matthew Coronado. Every other piece is available. And I think that's a perfect place to end here. Uh, so, we got we got some games coming up. And by some games, I mean two. Between now and when you hear our our lovely voices again, the Flames will play twice. They play the Ottawa Senators Thursday in front of a half-full arena at best uh, at the Scotiabank Saddle And then the following Tuesday against Sam Bennett, unless he's suspended again, and the Florida Panthers. Uh, so we'll see. What those, that's those a big be if, too. You, you the, know, could happen. Hey, Sam, Sam plays with his heart in his sleeve and you know he's like the Tasmanian devil and sometimes it gets him into trouble. But it's good, it's good to see him succeeding. I don't think he would have gotten the chance to succeed here based on how many guys had clear roles ahead of him and the fact that he didn't have a clear role. But it's cool, it's cool to see guys who work hard succeed. So we'll see, we'll see how Sam looks on uh, on Tuesday. Presumably that game will be played and be played in Calgary and be played with Sam Bennett in attendance. Uh for Shane, I'm Ryan. Thank you for listening. We are brought to you. This week, like every week, by our friends at DoorDash and the Eau Claire Distillery and their delicious, nutritious, in some ways, Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. For Shane, I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.